This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. Hey, everybody. I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Thanks for joining us uh, on this Tuesday, October the 3rd, also known as the first day of the Sam Bankman-Free trial in New York City. FTX uh, is was his company. It's no longer his company anymore. Uh, the now defunct crypto exchange, uh, Mr. Bankman-Fried, SBF to those uh, in the know, is on trial for fraud and conspiracy in New York. Right. And we talked about this a lot after FTX collapsed last year and as the effects rippled through the industry. But we want to know how crypto has been doing since then and how SBF's trial might impact that and in sort of the zeitgeist. Um, So here to make us smart about this is Zeke Fox. He's an investigative reporter at Bloomberg and author of Number Go Up Inside Crypto's Wild Rise and Staggering Fall. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. So you're in your car outside the courthouse because uh, you were there this morning. What was it like in there? So it was a zoo. I counted maybe 50 reporters. And wow. Bankman Freed did came in through a separate entrance since he lost his bail and is now locked up in Brooklyn. So there wasn't like a scrum when he walked in. Um, he appeared to have trimmed his trademark shock Mm. of curly hair and he sat there you know impassively as a a squad of maybe 50 jurors and alternates filed in and the judge started to question them about whether there was any reason why they couldn't sit for what's expected to be a six-week trial remind us would you zeke how sam bankman freed finds himself sitting in court this morning so FTX, his company, is a crypto exchange. What that basically means is people sent money to FTX so that they could trade Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these other random coins. And the company failed and an $8 billion hole was discovered. So the company did not have the money to send back that the customers had sent in, which is a big problem. And the government says that's because Sam Bankman-Fried more or less embezzled that money. So he's accused of wire fraud, commodities fraud, securities fraud, and several of his top lieutenants have already pleaded guilty and are expected to testify against him. Hmm. (laughs) What do we not know about what went down that you think we might be able to find out over the course Hmm. of this trial? So, Bankman Freed, when I... uh, Back in November, before the cops showed up at his door, I flew down to the Bahamas to talk with Sam, and we spent a whole Mm -hmm. day going over his version of what happened. And what he claimed to me, and I found this a little hard to believe, was that here he is, this math genius, but he had totally lost track of how much money he was spending. He claimed that essentially he had misplaced this $8 billion dollars that he had no idea that it was gone and that he had not intentionally taken this money and spent it, even though he did spend huge sums on 
real estate in the Bahamas, political donations, buying all sorts of random crypto coins. Um, but he just claims he lost track. Do, do you buy it? I mean, I, I told him when I was down there that this did not sound very plausible. Um, and he actually, in front of me, pulled out his laptop and started making a spreadsheet to try and show just where the money had gone, where he thought it was going, and how he might have missed it. Um, but I think it's it's going to be a tough sell to the jury to say that this guy who was so smart and so focused on money that in just a couple of years he turned himself into one of the richest guys in the world, that he just wasn't paying attention. Hmm. But but this is the whole narrative around crypto, right? right? That if, you, if you're not in it, you're just not smart enough. And the people who were in it and were making money, they were in the know. And these are really smart, mathematically inclined, mostly guys. And if you were not on the bandwagon, you were behind because you weren't smart enough. <laughs> just Yeah, they were like... They were so good at at spreading that story, and I they tried it on me a million times. I spent a couple of years going down this crypto rabbit hole, and they always said like, "You just don't get it. You need to understand the power of the blockchain." Um, but starting last summer, nearly all the coins collapsed. Some of the biggest mm-hmm. companies failed, and many of them were revealed to be frauds, not just FTX. So Sam Bankman-Fried has become, in some ways because of himself and in some ways, you know, uh, in spite, despite what he says happened, he has become the face of crypto uh, of this moment. And I guess my question is, do you think this trial is actually crypto on trial in addition to Sam Bankman-Fried? I think the crypto bros have discredited themselves in so many ways already that this is like the final nail in the coffin. Basically, I spent two years trying to figure out what these coins are good for, and the only thing I could find that that people could really use them for was gambling. And Sam Bankman-Fried ran what was more or less regarded as the most trustworthy, the best Mm -hmm. casino to gamble on crypto. Now it's been revealed that he was stealing the money out of the back of the casino. So Mm -hmm. who's going to go gamble on crypto again like and 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 who's going to believe the next you know boy genius who comes along and says i've got a innovative and trustworthy new crypto platform for you right but people still are buying crypto i mean i'm I'm looking at the bitcoin price it's still up over where it was a year ago um you know not doing great like in the last month or so but i mean well no it's still up in the month. I mean, so people are still buying crypto. Um, and I, I guess that leads me to the next question, which is since the collapse of FTX, how has crypto been doing? I mean, it's still sputtering along and I'm kind of amazed by uh, how well it's held up, even though most coin prices are way down off the peak. I was just checking the other day and the price of a Mutant Ape Yacht Club NFT, which is one that I've, uh, one of the silliest ones. Um, yeah, I thought this would be sure to go all the way to zero. They were around 20 grand when I was writing the book. They're still at eight grand for wow. a digital image of like a kind of melted, ugly monkey. And I, I want to investigate like who is buying one for eight grand now after, after all that's happened. It's really 
amazing to imagine. All right, so look, if I live in Ottumwa, Iowa, or Birmingham, Alabama, or Sheboygan, Michigan, and I'm just trying to get by in this economy, I'm thinking two things right now. Number one is, all you crypto people are out of your minds. And number two is, why should I even care about this? So, so help me with the second question. What I would say is that you, if from an investing standpoint, you don't need to care about this. You're better off ignoring it because what are the odds that you're going to be the person who actually picks like the good crypto coin that turns out not to be a scam? Right. Um, but in terms of this trial, I think it's just fascinating to see how this guy was able to fool so many of us to convince the whole world that he had that he was sort of the future of finance when he was effectively running an offshore casino for gambling on random crypto coins. So hmm. I'm hoping that more will come out about his interactions with venture capitalists, with politicians. Um, and I'm also excited to see like his former lieutenants, his best friends testify against him. They probably haven't seen each other since everything collapsed. Yeah. I was reading, you know, some of the reporting around this, including yours, and it's like a lot of the people in the crypto industry want to see him go down. Why is that? So they would love to say that he is the rotten apple, that he's an exception in the crypto world. They would like to forget that nearly every coin's price collapsed in the past year, Bitcoin being the main exception. And they'd like us to not focus on the fact that so many other people in crypto are bankrupt or facing criminal charges. If they could say, hey, crypto was great. It was just this one guy who committed a massive fraud. That's a, a better pitch the next time they try and convince someone to go, you know, invest their life savings in Dogecoin or whatever. Yeah, well, so first of all, everybody listening to this, number one, consult your own financial advisor. And number two, do not invest your life savings in Dogecoin or, or anything <laughs> like that. But, but, but in the fullness of time, Zeke, and I'm not talking like tomorrow, but, but, you know, years from now, do you think crypto actually becomes uh, a viable currency? So crypto now is as old as... WhatsApp, it's as right, old as right. Uber, and those are like apps that now are part of our daily life, like we use them as verbs. And I don't see people using crypto for anything. And I really spent a long time digging into it, trying to find some useful, some use case for crypto, and I really just don't see it. So, I mean, there still are a lot of smart people working on it. Maybe one day they'll come up with something, but I can only judge it by its results so far, which are just truly disappointing. You've spent a lot of time digging into this. Have you found any crypto coins or tokens or anything in this industry that you can be like, yeah, that's not a scam? I mean, my lawyers will tell me that scam implies like an intent to defraud. So I don't think that everyone in the crypto industry is, is trying to steal your money. Uh, but I just saw a lot of like far-fetched schemes. I saw a lot of wishful thinking and I did see a lot of scams. Um, so there's not one that I would say, oh, this one seems really promising. I'm, I'm going to bet that this is, this is the one that that's going to go mainstream. 
I didn't see anything that my mom would ever have any reason to use. Right. I traveled all around the world trying to find this use for crypto, and I, mm. I gained a new appreciation for my Visa card. Like, you just <laughs> tap it, you pay. Like, any country you're in, it works great. Sometimes I never even got cash out. Um, so the crypto yeah. people, they, they don't realize, they like to, they, you're competing with that. You have to come up with a product that people would like better than a Visa card. Right. And right. right now they've got nothing. Right. But what about the blockchain, Zeke? Yeah, right. Stop. <laughs> this, is, this is what they always say, right? Yeah. I, anyway, you know, okay, we'll leave it. <laughs> um, I mean, I you know, the blockchain is pretty cool when you think about it, but I've been hearing pitches about how it's going to revolutionize everything from finance to the supply chain. We'll have our passports on the blockchain. We'll have every fish in the sea on the blockchain. I really heard that. Um and like it hasn't happened. So, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> yeah. Zeke Fox, investigative reporter at Bloomberg, author of Number Go Up and keeping an eye on the Sam Bankman Freed trial. Thanks so much, Zeke. Zeke, thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. I have to say, like, that conversation was very validating. Yep, totally. Because the level of gaslighting that mm-hmm. has been going on for years around crypto. And I remember somebody was asking me about this, like, when the collapse was happening. And I said, look, I am not a stupid person. I am not dumb and I read a lot and I follow finance and markets and I have a grasp of most things. I don't get this, which mm-hmm. is a red flag to me. Mm-hmm. I think you're totally right. And, and his comment there about, uh, you know, his mom finding a reason to use this. We, we got to get the moms on board, right? And I'm speaking, you know, not, not, you know, every mom, but the moms who are like writing checks still like my mom and going to ATMs and all that jazz. You got to get everybody on board. And until you do, it ain't happening. Well, and the predatory nature of some of this stuff was so icky. I mean, I don't know if you remember that story I did. I think it was last year about how black people tended to be over invested in crypto relative to other groups because they were specifically targeted. And I went to this, you know, sort of learn about crypto and build generational wealth for your families, which is a huge like thing that people want to do in the black community because you've been denied access for so many generations. And it was a multi-level marketing scam. Scam, 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 scam. And I will say it here, <laughs> you know, um, maybe the the lawyers, lawyers will come after me. But wow. And it was so gross. It was so gross. Anyway. I totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. All right. I, I'm sure that we still have some um, people on board with crypto uh, listening to the mm-hmm. show. And we would love to hear your thoughts about it. Convince us otherwise, please. Um, is crypto dead? What do you think? Uh, our number is 508-827-6278, also known as 508-UB-SMART. You can also email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. But before we go to the break, I do want to give you an update on our fall fundraiser. You know, our goal, as we've mentioned before, is to reach 2,000 Marketplace investors. And thanks to everybody who's already chipped in, we are counting down now. And we just need about 700 more donors before midnight on Friday to hit that goal. And it would really mean a lot to us if you can chip in, whether it's your first donation, you're chipping in again, you're starting a month monthly gift, increasing your monthly gift, all of that matters. It all counts. 
We are going to do, if we get to where we want to be, which is 2,000 people, we'll do a trivia night later this fall. And if you've given $5 or more, you get the invite. Marketplace.org slash give smart. A couple of shout outs here. Neil in West Friendship, Maryland. Kelly in Anchorage, Alaska. Vinay in Coralville, Iowa. I wonder how far that is from Ottumwa. Barbara in Simi Valley, California, mm-hmm. not far from where I am. Mark in St. Petersburg, Florida. And Carolyn Las Cruces, New Mexico. Join them, would you? Contribute what you can. Marketplace.org slash give smart. We're coming right back. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's go. News. What do you got? I'm still stuck on the crypto thing. One more thought I had. (laughs) Okay, yeah, please. Is that I don't want to dismiss the fact that there were a lot of normal people who did make a lot of money off of crypto, life changing money. And, you know, I don't want to dismiss how real that was and how real the hope was, is for so many people. Um, But, you know, it's like Zeke said, it's kind of like your hope for winning the lottery or your hope for you know, when you go to the casino that you're going to hit it big. And yeah, that's, you know, do you want to hang your life savings on hope? Totally. I I will offer this story that she has told on this podcast. So I'm not breaking any confidence. Molly Wood Mm -hmm. was a Bitcoin millionaire. Oh, right. And then it all vaporized. Oh my gosh. I I mean, this is a long time ago. It's got to be six, eight years ago now, but, uh, and you know, it would be worth much and more. And she now. just had to come to terms right, with it, right, you know, right? Because um, so, it's she was caught up in that. It was something related to a mountain or something where m- everybody M-T-Gox, got their M- wallet. Empty gox, right? Yeah, where yeah. everybody got their wallet right. still. And jeez, right. that was right. so sad. Anyway. Okay, well, um, two bits of news for me. Um, number one, if you haven't heard about this yet, I will just add to the chorus of people giving you a heads up that tomorrow your phone is going to blow up um, at approximately 2.20 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow, Wednesday, October the 1st. There's going to be a national test of like emergency broadcast things by FEMA and the FCC. And it's going to go to TVs, radios, and cell phones. As I understand it, it's supposed to bypass um, do not disturb settings. So if you're someplace where you really can't have your phone go off, you might want to switch it off altogether. Um, But it is a test. And so just if you haven't heard it yet, this is happening tomorrow. Make your preparations as necessary. So that's number one. I will just, sorry, I will just add here an editorial comment. What could possibly go wrong? True, but I also... I'm kind of glad they're doing it, <laughs> Just, Fair. you know, like Fair. let's let's do the test before we need it and yep. not do it the way that that thing happened in Hawaii, where you tell people That's that right. a nuclear attack is incoming and, you know, it's yep. not. Um, and yes, that was an accident, you know, but that was 
horrid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just like, anywho, the other story that I have is um, <laughs> one of the very first stories I ever did when I came to Marketplace was like a multi-part series on orbital debris. And I had so much fun doing those stories because it allowed me to like bring in a little clip from an anime. I got to talk about space. It was a lot of fun. But orbital debris, specifically in low Earth orbit, is a big problem. And we've talked about that here and elsewhere. There's a lot of junk floating around our planet that is making it increasingly difficult um, to navigate space. And as if I recall correctly, one of the reasons that Lieutenant Colonel, who just mm -hmm. returned uh, mm -hmm. to the planet, had to stay up there so long was because a piece of orbital debris hit a part of the International Space mm -hmm. Station and that delayed his return home. All of this leading up to the fact that the Federal Communications Commission has fined Dish Network $150,000 for, fa for failing to properly deorbit a satellite. Wow. And I think this may be one of the first times that they've issued a fine like this for basically somebody contributing to orbital debris. Hmm. They have rules about this, that if you launch a satellite into space, you are supposed to have a deorbiting plan, a plan that its orbit will eventually degrade so that it burns up in the atmosphere, that it doesn't just stay out there floating around when it doesn't work, right? And they... Fairly, pro uh, the it's a hundred fifty thousand dollar fine against Dish, Dish Network for failing to properly dispose of its broadcast communications satellite, leading to an increase in orbital debris. Uh, and the FCC is calling it a breakthrough settlement. And I think that this is um, <laughs> this is a an interesting moment. And the the Gizmodo article I'm looking at. Um, quotes that uh, the European Space Agency says there are currently 34,580 debris objects being tracked by space surveillance networks with thousands of smaller pieces floating around. So it's a problem and they're starting to address it. It, so it is that. hazardous up there. I, I did not know, actually, that it was possible to get a fine for improperly deorbiting your satellite. I will say that $150,000 is nowhere near enough, but that's true of fines in practically every case. But um, super interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, but it'll start adding up. Yeah, like because companies are launching, you know, hundreds of satellites, you know, over a, you know the course of a couple of years. Because not all the satellites are big. Sometimes there are multiple satellites yeah. on each launch, and so if you start getting hit with one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on each one of them, it, it may start totally to make true. a difference. Totally true. Okay, what's your news? Uh, all right, so mine is an interesting little tidbit um, that shows sometimes uh, regulations actually work. So there's a piece in the New York in the Wall Street Journal today. Sorry, that says uh, millennials are on better track for retirement than boomers and Gen X. And if you're familiar with the the economic narrative around millennials, it has been that they are getting um, hosed to maintain us without that E rating, right? That um, mm -hmm. they have been um, behind the power curve and will not do as well as their parents' generation. Um, and they just are, they're not making as much money. They're not going to be able to buy houses, all of those things. Well, turns out that because 
of opt-in regulations on retirement plans. Millennials are saving more and earlier, largely because, I'm reading from the article, contributing to a 401k became the default in many plans. Unlike baby boomers Mm -hmm. and Gen X workers, many of whom delayed joining 401k plans, millennials were often automatically enrolled earlier in their careers. And Mm -hmm. the earlier you get on a retirement program, the longer your money has to sit there and compound and opting in works. I just, I think it's super interesting and it's great news for those now who are participating in that. Yeah. I mean, I think the times that I have been employed in a place where they have retirement contributions, Mm -hmm. it's always been the default. And now even I think default to automatically increase over Mm -hmm. time, Mm -hmm. your contributions. And you know, I don't really check all the time. So for the Mm -hmm. most part, yeah, I've been on autopilot. I mean, I, I, I believe this when it comes to retirement accounts, but, um, a lot of people still don't own homes. I know, I know we've seen data that most millennials own homes, but boomers and Gen X are still more likely to have the value of their homes to rely on in their retirement and controlled housing costs. So I I wonder how that balances out. You may have, we may have more money in retirement, but if you don't own a home and you can't control your housing costs, you know, does that money go as far? And then there are a lot of boomers still getting pensions on top of their 401ks. Uh, So You know, this is great news, but I I would love a little bit more context around it because, you know. That that is it for the news. Let's do the mailbag. (laughs) Hi, Kai and Kimberly. This is Godfrey from San Francisco. Jesse from Charleston, South Carolina. And I have a follow-up question. It has me thinking and feeling a lot of things. Just can't take any good news, can I? (laughs) All right. Last week, we talked about the paper ceiling, uh, referring to the barriers that uh, workers in the United States may face if they don't have a four-year college degree, and this often affects workers in the trades, and we got this message about it. Hi, this is David from Pennsylvania. I teach at a community college, and, well, one of the features of us teaching at a community college is we also teach the trades. You want to be an air conditioner repairman? that's a trade. You want to learn welding? That's a trade. We'll teach you all those things. And I find this really fascinating because it's like, no, that's a degree. And we're like, but that's a trade. We mm-hmm. teach that. We're a trade school and like 50% of our subjects we teach. So I always find that kind of divide interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you for making us smart. Take care. Yeah. That is interesting. So can you get a college degree in air conditioning repair, which you can, because it's like a certificate program, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you could probably get an associate's degree. I don't know if there's a four-year degree, right? Yeah, but, you know, if it's a piece of paper that matters to people, people, it's it's there as a paper. (laughs) Note to producers who may be listening, let's explore this, because clearly Kimberly and I have some questions. Yeah. Uh, one more on this one. We were talking, uh, the other day, Ms. Adams and I were, uh, about whether or not we are famous. Um, <laughs> and, and here's what somebody wrote in. Hey, this is Joe from Buck Creek, Indiana. I just want to tell Kai and Kimberly, in my world, you two are famous. <laughs> uh, Aww, so don't sell Joe. yourself short. Very nice of you to say, Joe. Very nice Thank of you, you to Joe. say. I appreciate that. 
All right. Before we go, we're going to leave you with this week's answer to the Make Me Smart question, which is what is something you thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? This week's answer comes from Ben in San Antonio. Something I thought I knew but recently found out I was wrong about is music. I always thought music was some ethereal artistic concept and that musicians and music writers just had some mystical connection or a a deep understanding of how all the notes and chords work together that allowed them to create these incredible emotive musical phrases and compositions. But in a recent attempt to recapture some of my youth and maybe dig myself a little bit deeper into my midlife crisis, I signed up for some guitar lessons and guess what? It's just math. And it's not even complicated math. It's basically just counting and number patterns. My whole life, I thought it was this innate connection that some people just had when really it's just sexy math. That's so so interesting. So one of my kids is uh, in music school. He's getting a vocal performance Mm -hmm. degree. And he is spending, a four-year degree actually, getting back to the topic of schools and trade schools and all that. Mm -hmm. He's spending an amazing amount of time on sevenths and thirds and diminished thirds and major fifths and all kinds of mathy kind of stuff And, and learning how to do that. It's like a different language. I think that's true, but then there's also people like my brother who can just pick up an instrument and play around with it for a while and then compose something. Yeah, my dad on was it. that way. He yeah. can just play the piano just off of how he's feeling in the moment and he doesn't use he just has that kind of mind and Mm. that ear and can replicate sounds on a piece of equipment even if he's barely spent any time around it and i have tried so hard like since the start of the pandemic to learn how to play piano and it's i can like the gears in my brain are like clunking along that's fun so i think um I think it is math for some people, but I also think that there's some of that ethereal magicalness to it for mm-hmm. some folks as for well. Sure. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, we want to hear, uh, first of all, how you feel about music uh, and whether you have that gift, which I really, I do wish I had. It'd be so, it'd me be too. so cool. Um, but yeah. also your answer to the Make Me Smart question. Our number is 508-827-6278, 508-UB-SMART. And should you be in the mood um, to support us, it's marketplace.org slash smarts. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Charlton Thorpe with mixing by Jake Cherry. Our intern is Neela Farshabandi. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez, two guys who do have that musical gift, composed our theme music. You know, it's funny. When they were still here, one of our, mm-hmm. uh, what used to be a, a, a little studio booth that turned into their music room. And they had guitars and everything. Jams. Cool. Yeah. Jams. Uh, our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bonner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on demand. The marketplace vice president, general manager, and Tuesday guy in the credits is Neil Scarborough. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. 
This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.